Well, all right, who's glad to be in church this morning? I don't know if you're happy to see me, but I'm definitely happy to see all of you. I uh, was out last weekend. My name is Keegan. I am the lead pastor here at our Belton location, if we haven't had a chance to meet. I want to begin this morning by, first of all, thanking all of you that have been praying. Uh, last weekend, I got to be up in Dallas with my mom and uh, spend the last couple of days with my stepfather who was going through cancer. Uh, he did pass last Sunday evening, and so that time was really special and valuable. That's why I wasn't here last week. Um, but I just want to thank you for all of your prayers. Some, many of you have been praying even for the last several months or year even uh, as we've been walking through this. And so he's in glory now. He's having even a better Sunday than any of us are. And so I know this is where he would want me to be. I was able to go up to Dallas and, and do the memorial service for him yesterday, and it was beautiful. And and uh, my mom's doing well. And so, uh, again, I just really cherish those prayers that all of you have, have been praying. And so uh, before we jump into uh, our message for today in Stronger, I also want to do two other things. Number one, how many of you have been following what's happening in Israel over the weekend? So we, I just want to take a moment. Let's just pray over that. And I would ask you to continue to pray throughout this uh, today and this week um, for just for God to just move in that place and just protect. So Heavenly Father, we just lift up Israel before you. Uh, God, we know that, that they're a part of your people, and we are a part of your people, all of us in Christ, Lord God. Those are our brothers and sisters over there, Lord, as well as those that still don't know you yet. And we just ask right now, Father, that you would protect, that you would bless, that you would cover that entire region, Lord God. We pray that every attack of the enemy that is trying to happen through these other uh, people, Lord God, these other terrorists, um, Lord, we just pray that they would cease and desist, Lord God, that, that he would, they would even have equipment failure, Lord God, as they are trying to do harm to people, Lord God. We just pray a hedge of protection over that entire region in that area in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And lastly, uh, we have a big event coming up in a few weeks called Light the Night. But before that, before we all get involved and help out with that crazy but very fun, exciting uh, community moment, I think, and our, and our leadership team here at Bell, and we were talking this week, we said, man, it's been too long since we have gotten together just to hang out as a church, right? It's one thing to come and, and serve every week and to be here and listen to a, a great message. Hopefully, come on, you can encourage me in that. Uh, and it's also great to be a part of worship together with each other, but... There's something about coming together just to be spiritual family, right? Family doesn't just happen once uh, in a moment on a Sunday morning. It happens outside of that. And so we're going to have a lawn party. We are blessed with this beautiful front lawn that we have out here. And so we're going to have a cookout style. Bring your cornhole. We're going to have uh, volleyball. We've got basketball. We might pull a ping pong table out. We're just going to have fun as a spiritual family. So whether you're brand new, whether you've been here for a while, especially those of you that are on serve teams and you're faithfully serving every week, listen, we don't need you to do anything that day other than come and just be family. Can we do that? So here's what I need you to do. Man, you don't sound as excited about it as I am. It's, there we go. It is fall, y'all. It's like flannel time. Let's go. Uh, scan that QR code, though, because I want to make sure there's enough food for you when you do show up, okay? All right, let's move on. We are in, uh, still in our Stronger series. Today we're talking about the helmet of salvation. Uh, Pastor Josh did a great job last week talking about the shield of faith. I was a little bummed because I was ready to talk about that. That's a great message, but he did a great job as well. Uh, so today I'm going to pick up where he left off. We're going to go into the helmet of salvation. And the big idea, remember, for this entire series is this. We win spiritual battles by using the tools God has given us to overcome the enemy. 
been saying it every single week because it's true every single week. You and I cannot fight off the enemy and stand strong without God's tools to do it. It's a spiritual battle before it's ever a natural battle, and we don't have the strength of our, on our own. We don't have the ability on our own to withstand what the enemy wants to do. So we've got to use God's tools. That's why we're learning about this. How many of you have your Bible? Wave it at me. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm still believing for it. I, I say this. I'm going to keep saying it. Real, real Christians have real Bibles. Digital is all right, but digital can be changed. Come on, some of that weird AI stuff, they might switch scriptures around, and you got to have the real deal. So get yourself a real Bible. If you, if you need one today, we actually have some. We'd be happy to give that to you. Um, but if you would, turn to Ephesians 6. I'm going to read starting in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Come on, it's good to know God has a lot of strength, right? He's not, he's not just willing We've said this before, but he's able. This is not a God that we're calling upon that's like, well, I would like to intervene, but I'm just not strong enough to help you. No, he has vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. I said this in the first service. None of you walk out of your house half-dressed, right? So spiritually, don't walk out half-dressed. Put on the full armor. You need everything, every tool available that God has given you to stand against the enemy. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having pre uh, prepared everything to take your stand. We have to take a stand, church. We have to take a stand. And not just when we're all in here together. We have to be able to take a stand out in the world so that the world can see something different. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Come on, we've got to all be ready to share the gospel, share the good news. If you need help, honestly, in how to do that, how to communicate that, listen, come find me, and, and we've got some other folks that will help you learn how to share your faith with other people. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Did you know that the enemy is firing arrows at you? Some of you may not be aware of that, but yet you're wondering why things keep happening in your life and you can't understand why. It's because the enemy is trying to ruin your life. He is firing arrows, and so you need that shield of faith that Pastor Josh taught about last week. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Today we're going to talk about the helmet. Next week we'll get to the sword, and I might have to have a visual aid for that. I got one for you for this service too. And don't tell 930 because I didn't have it at 930. <laughs> Ham didn't come to me with this brilliant thought until in between services. So you get a little something extra today. But let me talk to you for a minute about the characteristics of this Roman helmet. Remember when Paul was writing this in prison, he's He's, he's drawing, uh, uh, he's seeing the picture of the Roman armor, and he's trying to help Christians understand spiritually what that looks like. And so he's drawing these, uh, these uh, examples from it. And it says this, it was the most noticeable piece of armor. The breastplate was the most beautiful, but the helmet stood out. The helmet was often the first thing they saw coming. It was etched with designs. These designs would relate to what they were fighting for, would remind them of home. So be an example of this would be a deployed soldier with a picture of his family in the helmet or a set of dog tags. It was also fashioned in the shape of animals at times. 
Now, people do this in a goofy way. You see some of those Chicago Bear helmet things that they put on, supposed to look like a bear and it's got teeth. Listen, we're not talking about that. That's goofy and worthless, unless you're a Bears fan. Uh, I'll, I'll be mindful of that. I got some friends over here. But, but if you're looking at something that looks more scary than just, say, a person, right, it can be more intimidating. That was part of the point. And so they would have these helmets fashioned to look like different animals at times to intimidate people. It had horse hair or feathers on top. This was made to, to also make it look more aggressive and to be more visible and to be intimidating. It was connected to the individual Roman identity, just as a soldier, uh, not just as a soldier, but as a person. We're going to talk about this. A lot of this concept and this idea of the helmet of salvation relates to our identity in Christ. It was bronze and heavy, had a sponge-like material inside so it could be worn. Listen, you couldn't walk around if you were just some puny, wimpy person. You couldn't wear this helmet very long. It was heavy. It was made to be able to take some hits. And it wasn't lightweight. I got an example. Ham, if you want to come up here. For those of you that don't know, Ham, Ham's played some serious football. And he's recently gotten back and into the game. And this is his helmet for his team. I could not wear that helmet. I would be over here walking like this, not even being able to pick it up. You got to be strong to wear the helmet of salvation. You got to have some strength. You got to have some confidence in God. But it, notice, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. He can't see behind him in this helmet. He can barely see to the sides. It's meant to be cleared out and formed so that you can see what's in front of you and focus on the enemy that's in front of you. Right? It's to help block out distraction. You were going to see with the Roman helmet in the same way. It was fashioned to where just like the horses in, in races, they put blinders on them. Why? So they can keep their gaze and their focus on where they need to be going in the enemy in front of them. Thank you, Ham. See, confidence is the key to winning a fight. Have you ever heard anybody say, you win or lose before you even show up? You ever heard anybody say that? Why? Mentality, right? Winning and losing so often has to do with our mentality. Do you believe you can win? Or are you going into it with a whole lot of uncertainty? And I said at the beginning of this series, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, you have to understand that Christ has already won the victory, right? This is not a question about, will God beat the devil today? Check in next week to see. And there's a cliffhanger, right, to see because they're about to go at it. And you wonder if God's going to win or if the devil's going to win this week. No, God has already won for all eternity. This is about our appropriating God's victory in our lives and in the world. And so every battle that you get into, you should have confidence that you are going to be victorious because you're in Christ. Not because you're just so good at being a Christian or you're just so spiritually, you know, mature or, or strong. It's because of what Christ has done that we fight from a place of victory. Ephesians 3.20 says this, now to him who is able, say able, to do above and beyond all that we ask or think to the power that works in us. This is who we're talking about. This is who goes before us. Our salvation doesn't come from somebody who wasn't able to save us. If somebody offered you salvation, but they weren't actually able to give it to you, it's not worth much, is it? But when someone says, hey, I want to offer you something that, I've, that I was able to obtain, it counts for something. When we put on this helmet, when we acknowledge, when we give our lives to Christ, our salvation is real. It's powerful. It's assured. Paul speaks to our identity 
as Christians in this, Romans 8, 31. It says, what then are we to say about these things? Is God for us? Who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who has been raised? He also, I'm sorry, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to remind you, when we talk about salvation, the Bible tells us that we were saved, we are being saved, and those who endure to the end shall be saved. People ask questions all the time. Can you lose your salvation? I don't think you can lose your salvation, but I think you can give it up. I think there's very, very clear in Scripture, when you get saved, and we're going to look at this in, from John 15 later, we have to remain in Christ, right? The Bible says you, if you remain in Christ, you're good to go. I promise you God will never uh, take back his salvation from you, right? As long as you remain in Christ, you can be 100% sure that your salvation is assured. But, but you have your own free will. And if you just because you said a prayer when you were 13 years old, but then you just start living your life your own way and you don't follow God and you don't care about God, and I'm not, I'm not so sure. People ask me, how do you know if people are really saved? You want to know the truth? I don't. It's a heart condition. I don't actually know if you're saved or not. Now, I can do the best that I can to look at fruit in your life because the Bible talks a lot about how if we are in Christ and if we're believers, there's a way that we should act. There's fruit that people should see in our lives. So based off of the fruit, I could guess. But when it actually comes down to it, I don't know. Only God knows our hearts. And there are people that, you know, the scripture in Matthew says, there's going to be people that say, Lord, Lord, we did all of this stuff in your name. And probably a lot of people thought they were saved and they're going to get to heaven. And, and Jesus goes, but I didn't know you. Only you really know. Only you have that, that knowing in your spirit that you've actually surrendered and committed your life to Christ. And you've got to walk it out. This isn't a one and done, and now we just do whatever we want to do. The Bible says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is why we've got to put on this helmet. We've got to be reminded of our salvation every single day. And we've got to choose to walk in our salvation every single day. Does not the scripture say, walk out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Now, why would there be anything to tremble about if there wasn't an a possibility that you could lose your salvation or give it up? Got to walk it out. When, we get, when Christ saves us, it's for freedom. The Bible says that it was for freedom that he set us free. And our freedom as Christians is threefold. Here's the first one. Our freedom is uh, freedom from the past. This speaks to our justification. Ephesians 1 says this. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Come on, that's good news. According to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. In 1 John 1, 9, you should memorize this scripture if you haven't already. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Listen, repentance is not a one-time deal. As a believer, you're going to miss the mark. You're going to have to continually repent when you blow it. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I didn't become perfect. Right? We don't become perfect. We, come, we become in right standing with God, but we still are not, are not perfect people. We'll not be perfect this side of heaven. But what should happen is we go from justification. Now we're in right standing with God. Now we will go to heaven. We have a surety, uh, surety of, of, of eternity with God. But there's going to be another process called sanctification that we're going to talk about. And in that, we've got to continually come to God. And as he's showing us things in our life, as he's, the Holy Spirit is convicting us, uh, uh, convicting us of sin in our lives, we've got to make a choice whether we're going to die to ourselves and let those things go and become more and more like Christ or whether we're just going to hold on to it. And stiff arm God. And say, well, I didn't need you to change my life. I just needed you to keep me from hell. This is not just fire insurance. Jeannie Mayo told me one time, she said, don't ever sell anyone a gospel that's too cheap. And I've heard a, a lot of good preachers say, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not really Lord at all. That's the reality. He's either Lord of all of our lives or he's not really Lord at all. You can't just, well, Lord, you can be Lord of my life in this area, but not this area. I'm good here. No, we either surrender and bow down to the King of kings and Lord of lords in all areas of our life. Or he's not really Lord at all. And we're just fooling ourselves. We're still really the Lord of our own life. Second Corinthians says this, 517. Therefore, if anyone, say anyone. Are you anyone? All right, then this is talking to you. I'm anyone. This is talking to me. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. It's one of my favorite verses. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We have freedom from our past, but it's only if we will let it go. You'll hear me say this over and over. If Jesus isn't holding on to your past, why are you still? No, you need to be able to walk in, step into the newness of life that Jesus is offering you. Yes, that doesn't mean you, you, you instantly stop having this addiction, right? There, there are times, that I, I don't know about you, but did all of your sinful things that you were doing just instantly change the moment you gave your life to Christ, right? Some of you, you still wrestle with things that had a hold on you. Right? That's part of this next process called sanctification. This is what God does. After he gives us freedom from our past, he gives us freedom for the present. Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. The Christian life is not a sprint. Jesus would not tell us over and over that we need to have endurance if this was a short-term race. No, it is a lifelong race. You will, you will run this race until God takes you home. And so run with endurance. Don't just get a, a little bit and then piddle out, you know. You got to have enough. You got to train. You got you to get spiritually strong enough that you can go the distance. Come on, who wants to go the distance with God? Oh, I didn't get too many hands up in the air for that. This is an interactive church, by the way. Like, I don't expect, I don't, I, it's okay to holler back at me or, or let me know that you're 
You're smelling what I'm selling, you know, you're picking up what I'm putting down, you know. <laughs> but yes, I want to go the distance with God. There's nothing worse, oh, especially in sports. There's nothing worse than, than watching a team dominate until the last minute and lose. Oh, that's annoying. I'd rather you get blown out from the first moment than just be feeling great about this whole game just to see you blow it in the end. Drives me crazy. Come on, Jesus is the same way. He doesn't want to see you start great and just piddle out. No, you should get stronger and stronger. And then you should get that spiritual runner's high where I made it seven miles. Now I feel like I can go another three. And now I made it ten miles. I know I can do 15. And now that I'm at 15, I might start thinking about a marathon and run that 26.2. Come on, we got to run with endurance. I'm extra excited today. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you don't grow weary and what? And give up. You cannot lose in the Christian life unless you give up. Plain and simple. If you continue to go after what God has told you to do, you continue to be obedient to what he's called you to do, you will not fail. I promise you. What I don't mean by this sanctification is that we're looking for perfectionism. Like I said, you and I will never be perfect. But I will tell you this. In your life, the longer you walk with Christ, you're not going to become, I like to say it like this, you're not going to become sinless, but you should sin less. Does that make sense? We're going to blow it. We're going to make mistakes, which is why, thank God for, for 1 John where it says, but if we confess our sin, God will instantly forgive us. There may be some consequences we got to deal with, but God will forgive us and we'll be right back in right relationship with God. Some of you, you may feel like you're a little bit distant in your relationship with God, like you don't feel the closeness and the proximity. Can I tell you, sin will always make you feel distant from God. Always. That's why you've got to be quick to repent. Moses and David both knew this. When, when they sinned or when they were, anytime there was anything that could potentially cause them to be not close to God or, or to be out of his presence, they didn't want anything to do with it. David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba, he repented and, and he basically said, God, you can do whatever you need to do to me, but please, if there's one thing I'm asking you not to do, don't take your spirit from me. How much do you value the presence of God in your life? It's a deep question. How much do you really, truly, do you wake up every day thinking about, I want the presence of God to be with me in my day-to-day? -day? Or do we just wake up and just head out the door and just blow through what we got to do and just not even think of it? I just want to encourage you, invite the Holy Spirit to be with you throughout your day. Sometimes we just, in America, in westernized thinking, it's all about compartmentalizing. And so it's, it's like, well, I spent my 30 minutes with God this morning, and then see you later, God. It's not really how it's supposed to work. You should spend that quality time, but then continue to have the Holy Spirit with you throughout the day. It's okay to pray in your car while you're waiting in line at Taco Bell. Pray that they make the food better this time than they did last time. Pray for the people in front of you. Like we just think about this. And, and 
the more you have the presence of God active in your daily life, the more things are going to change. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the, in the Holy Spirit. If you want righteousness, peace, and joy, guess what you need? The Holy Spirit. He also gives us, oh, let me I skip Romans 8, 28. Now we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You are all called according to God's purpose. All of us. We're called according to his purpose. What is our purpose? To glorify him. To tell, to share the good news, to spread the gospel. That is our call. We're called to make disciples. Right? Church isn't here just so we can have church attendees. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. I was talking with Jimmy a couple weeks back, and this has just stuck with me since our conversation. He was reminding me that, you know, we, we do altar calls or, or uh, uh, we, we do prayers at the end to give people an opportunity to give their life to Christ. And that's great. But really, what should be happening more than anything is people should be getting saved as you're out and about in the community. You know, I was talking to this person at the, at the you know, the park when our kids were playing, and, and one thing led to another, and, and I just led them through the, the prayer to accept Jesus Christ, and they got saved, so they came to church with me Sunday. And we get to celebrate, and they get to meet the rest of their spiritual family. But that's really, more salvation should be happening, right? All of the signs and the wonders that we talk about, that the, the Holy Spirit empowers us to, to walk in. Go read your Bible. Most of the time, those things were happening outside of the temple. And then as lives were being changed, they were coming in and they were sharing stories and testimonies of, you'll never what happened, never believe what happened in the market today. I just got up and I started sharing and five people just got convicted and gave their lives to the Lord. So I brought them to church because that's the next thing you do. That's what we should be seeing. But we're sadly oftentimes just happy to be church attenders and not actual disciple makers. You know you're called to make disciples, all of you. It's not just the pastor's job or the leadership's job. We all are called to this. Let me move on fast so your lunch don't get cold. Freedom in the future. One day we will be glorified and experience freedom from the presence of sin. John 14, 3 speaks to this. Revelation 21, 1 through 7 and Philippians 4, 13. This is talking about glorification. How does this work? We're saved. We're being saved, like I said, and we will be saved. And here's the equation. It's very simple. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When it comes to our salvation, I want to be absolutely clear on this. It has nothing to do with works. I don't care if you come to church every single week. Well, I do care. But as far as your salvation, as far as your salvation is concerned, it, it's all about Jesus and what he did. That's it. You coming to church every single week or every time the doors are opened or you whatever, none of that has anything to do with your salvation it's not works-based it is a free gift that God has given us and I will tell you his gift of salvation is free but it will cost you everything and we should be glad to give back to God everything if we really truly understood the magnitude if God showed us if he opened up and showed us all a picture of hell we would have a a much more greater appreciation for the fact that we don't have to go there and spend eternity there. But we don't think about that. People are like, well, I'm experiencing hell on earth. Yeah, you might be experiencing hell on earth, but it's still not going to be anything like the actual hell. And there's a lot of people that, that, that you know, there's this all kinds of stuff that gets taught nowadays. But I'm just telling you, don't think for one second that your hell on earth is actually any comparison to the real hell. 
It's not. I'm just telling you. I'm going to tell you the truth. That's my job. To the best of my ability to tell you the truth. You do not want to be in hell in eternity. And you don't want to see any, not even, Jesus didn't even want to see his enemies go to hell. Some of you are like, you know, some of you may have ever, maybe sometimes you said that phrase before. Why don't you just go to hell? Man, if you really knew what hell was like, you would not want anyone to go there, even the people that you can't stand. No, instead, that's why the Bible says pray for those that persecute you. All right, let me keep going. How do we keep our helmet on in the fight in the spiritual battle? We've got to remain in Christ. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, say remains in me, and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. This speaks to what I was talking about at the uh, front. We have to remain in Christ. You intentionally have to be growing and cultivating your relationship with God. You can't just, I, I'm telling you, I would not just ride on, well, I said that prayer when I was eight, and so I'm just good. I'm just going to do my thing. No, you want to walk with God. And that takes effort and time and intentionality, just like any other earthly relationship. No relationship is good when it's just distant and nobody's putting anything into it. You see marriages break down. You see friendships break down. Why? When people start being intentional about making sure the relationship is maintained, it falls apart. It fizzles out. We can't let that happen with our faith. I'm winding down. Here's how you remain in Christ. Philippians 3, 13 through 17. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us all, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. I was talking with Andrea earlier this week, and I said, I'll never forget when I was reading this verse one time in my devotionals, and God's, the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, he said, don't live below what you know. Once God has revealed something to you, once he's shown something to you, embrace it and live up to it. You can't claim ignorance once you've been told. You can't do it. It doesn't work. And so when God starts to show you things, when he shows you how you ought to be living versus how you are living, you've got to do something about that, right? Live up to what God has revealed to you. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. As we close, going back to this image of the helmet, uh, helmet had blinders for a reason because there's four ways that we can look in our life or that we can, we can focus. Number one is the backward look. This is for people who just cannot move forward because they're so busy staring back here. If that's you today, let go of it. Stop looking backwards and start looking forward. Then you have other people. They have the inward look. Why do you think the self-help, do-it-yourself section at Barnes & Noble is so huge? You know, have you ever heard this? All these people, the answer is, is within you. No, it's not. Unless Christ is in you, the answer is not in you. The answer is in Christ. And once you get in Christ, then guess what? You'll have all the answers. But this whole nonsense about the, hey, you just got to find your inner self, and that's crap. 
you need to find who you are in Christ. That's what you need to find. Not, your, not some other random, sorry, I threw some of you off of that. But that's the reality. And the world just keeps shoving this stuff in our face like, like it's truth. It's not. The only way you're going to really find out who you are is when you're in Christ. And he reveals himself to you. And then there's the outward look. These are people who endlessly just look at and focus on the circumstances in their life. That's why they're a roller coaster. They're good with God when everything's good, but then as soon as something goes, you know, crap hits the fan, then all of a sudden it's like, well, where's God? I don't even think he loves me. He must hate me. You ever been around Christians like that? Come on, don't be one of those. Simon was like that. He, was, he would wave like this. Jesus said, you're like a, like a reed swaying in the wind, right? Just following this and that and getting moved by this and that. No, God wants you to be rock solid. That's why he changed his name to Peter. You need to be rock solid in your faith and in who Christ is and who you are in Christ. That way you can walk through no matter what the circumstances are and people can see that you're steady and that you're faithful, that you're not, you know, wavering. I'm not, I'm not having a crisis of faith because God didn't heal my stepfather this side of heaven. We prayed for three years, walked through that battle with him for three years. And just because he passed and went to be with the Lord doesn't mean that I'm now sitting here going, why didn't you just heal him, God? What's wrong with you? A lot of people do that. A lot of people are ready to throw God to the, to the side because he didn't, he didn't come through like they wanted him to come through. He didn't heal the person. Listen, my stepfather's never been as victorious as he is right now in this moment. And my faith is even stronger because I know I'm going to see him again. And he's not suffering. That's real faith. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And why can I say that? Why, why could I stand there? And I know I'm going a little long. It's all right. You'll be fine. I literally, I had somebody else when, when, when we were in Thailand on a mission trip. And my wife and I had a miscarriage. She had the miscarriage. And we lost our child on a missions trip in Bangkok, Thailand. And people said, well, why would you want to serve a God like that? First of all, who else is there to serve? Nobody else is offering life. Nobody else has the words of life. Nobody else has, holds the keys to eternity. Nobody. And I said, I don't understand why it happened, especially when I'm literally doing what God has called me to do. And my wife's doing what God has called us to do. I wasn't shaken in my faith. I had to mourn. We had to walk through that. And I still don't understand it. But I trust his sovereignty. I trust his wisdom. I trust God. And I'm going to tell you right now, you don't get that kind of faith just showing up to church once a week. I want you to show up every week. I love seeing you. But the kind of faith that it's going to take to be a Christian that endures to the end, you're going to have to get with God. You're going to have to spend time with him. You're going to have to get into your Bible and dig. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to surrender. Your relationship with God has got to be real. I hope I'm encouraging you. If not, I don't want you to feel condemned. I just want to tell you what it's really going to take. I don't want to say your gospel too cheap. Last thing, the surrendered look. This is what, the, what we should have. This is all about Jesus. Remember Hebrews 12 too. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of your faith. That's your number one job in life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You lose your job, 
without notice, keep your eyes on Jesus. Your kids struggling with whatever. Maybe they're getting bullied. Maybe they're just struggling with their own identity. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Your relationships are breaking down in your family and you don't know you're trying to bring peace and, and cause things to get fixed and happen. What do you, keep your eyes on Jesus. You have to keep your focus on him. Or you won't make it. Just tell you the truth. You won't make it. They didn't just write this stuff because it's poetic. I've had people say that, like, well, the Bible is just this beautiful poetry and it's poetic and it's No, it's not. It's a manual on how to live and how to how to make it to the end. And nobody can do this for you. I can't fix your eyes on Jesus. All I can do is tell you every day, fix your eyes on Jesus. What do I do today? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay, well then what do I do tomorrow? Fix your eyes on Jesus. And keep that helmet of salvation on your head. Guard your mind. Especially right now. You've got to almost turn the TV off when the commercials hit because there's some demonic thing wanting to come out of the TV and scare your kids at 2.30 in the afternoon. I hate it. I hate October. I just do. Well, I hate the stuff on TV in October. Let me clarify. I love the fall. I'm all about the fall, y'all. I need a shirt. All about the fall, y'all. Let me pray for you. I know we went a little long. You might as well get used to it. I'm probably going to do that a little bit. Because I just, I, here's my thing. We can't have, we cannot have cookie-cutter Christianity. Church in America is in decline by and large. And here, I was literally talking to somebody this week about it. It's like we, we offer all these extra services, and we keep making more and more stuff, and, and yet the church attendance overall is going less down and down. It's not adding up. Why? Because of what people are experiencing at church. When you walk through these doors, I want you to experience the power and the presence of the living God. I don't really care about anything else after that. If you walk out of here and you've had an encounter with the real, true, one, living God, that will last in your life. The rest of it's just the rest of it. But that's what I'm after. God is real, and I want you to know him, to really know him. All right, for real, let me pray for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to him, you've never heard that he gave his life for you until today, I've got great news for you. He did. He suffered and died to pay the price for your sin, just like he did mine. And he offers you new life today. You can be made whole. You can be made new. You can walk out of here completely forgiven and heaven bound. The Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised our next breath. And I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, but I do want to keep you out of hell. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And you'll never be able to stand before God after this moment and say that no one told you. I'm telling you, he died for you. And he wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And you can start that today. And I'll lead you through that prayer. And also, for those of you that maybe you said that prayer when you were eight years old, but then you've just been living life however you want, really being the Lord of your own life, if you're really honest. But today you're realizing, you know what, God? I need to surrender. I need to have the surrendered look. I need to give control of my life back to you fully, wholeheartedly. I want you to be Lord of all from this moment on. If that's you, I want you to 
join in this as well. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. Every head bowed, every eye closed, out of respect for one another. Not trying to embarrass you, but, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you for that hand. I see you. Thank you for that hand. Angels are rejoicing. The Bible says when even one person gives their life to the Lord, angels rejoice. They're throwing a party for you in heaven right now. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Church, let's all say this together to encourage them in their faith as well. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sin, to live the life I should have lived, and to give his life in my place, to cover me, to cleanse me, to allow me to be in relationship with you. Today I choose you. I received your free gift of salvation. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And I choose of my own free will to give you my life. Would you be my Savior? And more than that, would you be my Lord from this day forward? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.